Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. We're going to 4 verse 1. The numerical system of the Bible is not inerrant. Uh, so go with me. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master who is in heaven. Our sermon title for the day is The Heart Behind Home. The Heart Behind Home. And it is God's direction for how the household of faith should work. And, and how he would have our lives to be intertwined with those who we spend the bulk of our time with. That God has a unique design for what the family is. So, if you've been with us for the last, since January the 21st, we started in the book of Colossians and the entirety of the book of Colossians about, is about the authority of God revealed fully to us in Jesus. And how the authority of Jesus for us... Um, and we just get the meaning of that in the first two chapters. The meaning of Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, and this is what it means. And then you get to chapter 3 and you begin to see the implications of what that means for me and for you. And how that begins to work in the context of how I live my everyday life and how you live your everyday life. And everything is contingent upon what Paul says to us in chapter 3 verse 1 where he says... If you've been raised with Christ, or, or since you've been raised with Christ. So, for those in the room who are not believers, and I've always been pretty upfront whenever I preach, there's a good chance that you're not a believer. There's a good chance that we have those in this room who, because they grew up in church and they had a vacation Bible school teacher trick them into saying a prayer when they were six years old, they think they have a relationship with Jesus and all of their relationship with God is based solely in, I'm good because this happened and the transformative work of Jesus is not active in their life and they don't care anything about what Jesus would say or why Jesus would say it. But I did pray that prayer, so... I, it's like Monopoly. I got out of hell free. But the, the Bible seems to have a, a different view of what the life of a believer is and, and how the life of a believer works. So, and the first thing out of the gate, as I said earlier, from Paul for us in today's text is, if you've been raised with Christ, wives submit to your husbands. Well, that doesn't sound awesome. So you get married, and I don't know if you remember how your wedding day worked. For Hope and I, we quasi-eloped. There were some parents there, but just barely. And, uh, you know, we snuck them in, and they got to experience the two of us ex exchanging vows. Or maybe for you, you had a large wedding with thousands of people or maybe hundreds of people. Or maybe you're one of those deals where the wife is from the place you're getting married and the husband's not. And the ushers, when they're walking people in, have to keep tricking people into the wrong side of the room just so it looks balanced. 
But, inevitably, you, you read that Bible verse from the book of Samuel where it says, where you go, or from Ruth, rather, where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. So that, that's in the Bible, and we always use it at weddings. That's actually a conversation between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. Work through that if you need to. <laughs> But we get to this text about the way that my house and your house is supposed to work. And out of the gate, Paul starts with, Wives, submit to your husbands. But he follows that with, And husbands, you got a job to do too. And then he goes to parents. You parent or, or kids, you do this. But the foundational truth for why you should do this is because parents are going to do this. And then we get to work through slavery, and I'm looking forward to that in a few minutes. But then you get the undergirding of this. So you get direction, yes, for the wife, the child, and the slave. But when you look through the writings that were taking place alongside of what Paul does here... Paul's the only one who gives instruction for the husband, the parent, or what we call the master. So Paul has flipped the script. Some may say that Paul is old school. I mean, he literally was. He kind of wore a gown. But Paul was extremely forward thinking for his day because the resurrection of Jesus changes things. Before Jesus, there was no respect for people. Yet in Jesus and in his resurrection, the one true God who is full of justice and mercy and kindness and compassion and judgment, can't leave that out, he speaks to scenarios with this in mind for the hearing believer. You don't get things by me. So Paul gives direction for how this household is supposed to work. And immediately, because he starts in verse 18, with wives submit to your husbands, husbands are, are cringing about the conversation they're going to have on the way home. And wives are looking at me the way you're looking at me right now. And we're working through... Okay, what's this mean? Because I'm angry about this. I don't know why I'm angry, but I'm angry. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So I'm going to ask two questions for all of us about the next few verses. Question number one is this. If I believe the resurrection of Jesus, why would I not believe these directions I've been given? Question number two, is there another part of this text? We'll just go with this chunk that's more than likely got a bold italics section header on top of it. Do I disagree with any of the rest of this? If not, what we find is we're in situations where it's really about this is what I already think and I'm not going to change the way that I think. So I like what you say about the rest of the stuff, but I came in with this presupposition and I'm against it. Wives, submit to your husbands. If this 
pastor in Dallas says this, and I love it. He said, basically, he, Paul leads with this regularly, the, the way that the wife is supposed to function within the home. Because if you can't, if that's not taking place, the rest of it's not going to happen with the husband. Hey, bro, you can be George Washington. If she will not follow you, your home's not going to work the way it's supposed to. Now, the word submit makes us think about the game of mercy. We used to play as children, where one of you would give up to the other. The concept here is the idea of, of a respect based upon the authority that God has given. This is not the same word the Bible uses for obey. This is not a situation where a, a husband can tell his wife, this is what it means to listen to me. You have to do this. If you happen to be in a dating relationship right now, this is not applicable to your dating situation. When God gives us this direction... This is, a direct, this is a direction from him that he allows us to respond to. Ladies, you are allowed... I, say I, say, I said us, I'm not one of you. You are enabled by God to voluntarily respond to this. And there, this passage can take us into some really dark places if we're not careful. And... Believe it or not, the Bible's been misused a time or two. This passage can take us to places that are dark and harmful if it is misread. Where a man can speak obedience in his mind over his wife because the Bible has used a word that he used when he was thumb wrestling with his brother when he was a child. God would never, ever, ever direct you to a place that is sinful or harmful for you. And if the Bible has been misused by some gentleman who gets to stand behind a pulpit that's not as cool as mine, I'm sorry. But the Lord does give direction for how you are to respond to your husband. The, the, the word is respect. Never less than that. It's a bit more than that. It's, it's the idea of you trusting this man who has been resurrected by Jesus too. And when Paul speaks this to us, writes this to us, has this in mind for us, it is pushing us towards a unity which is much like the one that Jesus has with God the Father. Because if you have a, 
a problem separating the idea of equality and submission, then you will have a problem with the scriptural idea of the Trinity. Because equality and submission coexist in what God has created. It's the same terminology used to talk about the way that Jesus is related to God the Father as God the Son. Co-equal, submissive to his authority. It doesn't mean you're powerless. And, and any clowns who preach to people and talk about the powerlessness of women. Paul is moving us forward, not backward. And we'll even see some of that later in the text. But husbands, and well, let's talk. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Struggle? Anybody in the room? When Paul writes to us in, in the book of Colossians, he, he has a... I don't know if you've ever been around people who will tell a story or they will give you some information. And when they give you information in one scenario, it is abbreviated and abridged. And then in another situation, they give you information that is the exact same information, yet it is not abbreviated, nor is it abridged. They give you the longer version of the story. Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us the same directions, but they have more what? They're a little thicker. And by thicker, I mean that when he tells husbands to love their wives, he says, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So we have to ask, as those who are going to be raised, who are raised with Christ, how did Jesus love the church? He loved the church in an incarnational manner. What does that mean? He left heaven to come for us. In the same sense, or in a corollary sense, to how the husband leaves his mom and dad an Xbox, <laughs> or his safe space of his man cave with that futon he's lying to himself about being a couch. And he unites himself with his wife. Corollary. Jesus died for the church. Husbands. God has called you to die for your wife. Wives. You should be thinking amen and amen. <laughs> died for the church. And in the same sense as people who are called by Jesus in the gospel of Matthew to take up our cross daily, we are called by God to be willing to die for our wives. So what does that look like when no one's trying to kill me? That we would have a sacrificial mindset when it comes to this person that God has united us with. That we would see that God has put us together with this spouse for the sake of for the sake of eternal ramifications, for the sake of the way that we care for one another, that God has brought us together, that you would die for your wife. 
And right now, I got husbands and wives in this room thinking, you don't know my husband, he's a moron. I don't think he got to be more of a moron since you married him. You were blind to that. We are blind to things. But God loves, and God's for your marriage. And, and, and as someone who is resurrected by Jesus, these are things that we can push through and work through. And here's the thing. We look into the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, and we begin to see the tension between a man and a woman because Adam and Eve, everything was good. They were naked and happy. She ate an apple, right? Or we think it was an apple. It's always painted as an apple while they're covered in figs. But she took the bite of an apple while he stood there passively on the side. So when you read through this text that the husbands are to lead their wives, evidently there is Old Testament evidence where a man was not very involved in the decision making of his wife. He did not respect her enough to interact with her over this. Ephesians also says this, Love her as your own body. So, the Bible talks about us being one. You are united with her. In what you do day to day, are you choosing to think through what she is forced to think through? To go through what she goes through. To deal with what she deals with. Just a quick point of reference. Parenting. Husbands, if you, if you are in a scenario where you go to work and, and you are not as ho- at home as much as your wife is, are you ever in a situation to have a small, small glimpse into her day as a parent? Where it's just you and them. And they have you outnumbered by whatever number you've chosen to have. By whatever number would, that makes your quiver full. Do you spend time where it's just you and them? Uh, in my house, it's nuts. Hope leaves to go to the grocery store, I think in South Houston. <laughs> I'm left with these four children... Noli has painted the kitchen cabinets with fingernail polish that I handed her. (laughs) Shepard and Charlie are beating the snot out of one another. Alder has waved down some of the men building homes in our neighborhood and they're playing playing seven-card stud on the back porch. (laughs) And she gets home and I get it. I don't get it in full. But I can look and say, oh man, it's not the only thing. There are other things that your wife deals with that you don't deal with. And especially in our where we are. I'm short of Grecian Amazons. I have never seen more independent women than there are here in Lake Jackson, Texas. Because of the way that husbands work. Ladies, you get it done. <laughs> Look at that guy. <laughs> Look at that. You're like, oh, okay. Uh, you work and you work and you work. 
Husbands, if we could just lean into and understand that. The word for love that's used by Paul is not what we think of when we, when we think of love. For most of us, we think of this romantic idea where we, men would show up with flowers and a velvet jacket and a scarf and a fedora to take his wife on some nice date. That, that's not the word that's used. It's also not the word for friendship where, you know, we fist pound each other. The idea is the unceasing care and loving service with your wife's well-being in mind. Are we really thinking about their well-being? And the Lord allows us, I mean, people are wired differently. We're, we're all different. But are we pushing our wives to their limits? Keep going with me. 20. There's more than likely we've got a series about love and marriage coming up. Jared's going to preach the whole thing. It's going to be neat. <laughs> Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. So God seems to, to have a, a view of the kid, and we would even agree with this, right? They better obey me and everything. Different word, notice. Wife, submit. Child, obey. This doesn't mean they don't get to talk to you or give you their thoughts or, or, or whatever. It, it just means that for you as a, a child, your child is to listen to you in such a way because evidently the, God has a plan for this. And for those of us who think this applies to 11-year-olds, in the days of Jesus, if you were in a home where the father was not dead, you were still bound to obey him. So at the age of 51... If your father tells you, hey, you can't use that stuff to make your hair darker, you have to obey him. The Bible conveys to us the idea of this, at least now for us, we live in a completely different context, but this does not mean that you get to completely dismiss your moms and dads. That, that we would get to look at them and just tell them they're dumb. Because for whatever reason... I've realized as I've gotten to the ripe old age of 40 that I know way less now than I knew then. Anybody else there? Those of you who don't have your hands up, you should add your hand to the crew. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is probably the most difficult for me. It can be kind of nuts with kids, right? And you begin to think through what your tone is and why your tone is that. What your words are and why your words are that. Why you said what you say and then you walk away and regret it. 
But if you've been raised with Jesus, this is not a rule for you. It's a, it's a possibility. That you, if you grew up in a situation that was harmful or hurtful, where words were spoken to you that shaped you in a bad way, or words may not have been spoken at all that, that just still resonate with you. That in the resurrection of Jesus, those things don't define us because who Jesus is defines us. And our understanding of who a father is, is one who is loving and kind and gracious. And yes, as we said earlier, he has judgment in his hand, but he is also long-suffering and he is patient. And I, as a parent, am called to be that. Because as long as my children are living and breathing, there is hope for them. And that hope does not start with me. But I am a conduit for the hope of God provided for us in Christ Jesus. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. My wit can get me in trouble sometimes. My cynicism and sarcasm and... and And I can create situations and spaces that are unlike the God who I keep preaching about. So I just say that to let you dads know, and moms too, you're not alone and we don't have this figured out. One guy told me one time, I know you don't have it figured out, and he said it way too quickly, but... It's the idea of what God says shaping us. My quick wit outruns my good senses sometimes. We even see that in these next couple of verses. You go with me, verse 22. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea of slavery, I'm going to go ahead and lead with this, it's bad. It's a terrible thing. I, I was on a tour of a plantation in South Carolina one time, and I overheard this lady say, Can you imagine how wonderful it must have been to live here? I just looked at her and said, Depends on who you were. Depends on who you were. When we talk about slavery, our minds as people in um, our society go back to the atrocities of the slave trade, as they should. And, and we would think about the, the terrible things that happen to human beings who were also made in the image of God. And when we think about this slavery, much of it was justified by the behavior. Uh, this behavior was justified by men uh, who claimed a relationship with Jesus, who may have even had a relationship with Jesus, because of a misuse of what the scriptures say. Slavery is a terrible, horrific thing. 
And if we're just being clean this morning, the Bible, if you're looking for a verse that condemns it, there's not one. When you read through the way that slaves were treated in the Old Testament, the, the, the instructions, the description of the interaction between a slave and a... And I hate the word master, but a slave and his master, uh, there were things that would show you that there was a lack of equality between the slave and the slave owner. However, when we look at the scriptural picture of slavery, it functions a little bit different, if we're just being fair, than what took place here. And here's how we know that. When you read through the Bible, you see a couple of scenarios where a slave was able to rise to a pretty powerful place within, his, uh, within the kingdom that he was part of. One of those scriptural examples is in Babylon, you have Daniel who would be given authority over certain aspects of the nation. You also see the story of Joseph who was sold into slavery and this ebb and flow of him rising and having power. With both of these, you have an education that was connected and united with their ascent, if you will. When we look into the time frame of the Bible, you also see the idea that slavery was not specific sin, to a specific skin color. So, you and I may interact in a town unknowingly with someone who was a slave to someone else. There are instances throughout history where men would sell themselves into slavery for the sake of providing for their families better. That is not the situation that we find in, uh, in America. So these two ideas, though they have some overlap, there is variant between them. And when Paul begins to give these directions, he lives in a world where slavery is telling Paul, as he, because people like to come after Paul because of this. Telling Paul to live in a world without slavery equates to, in one theologian's opinion, to me telling you to live in a world without electricity. It was part of the fabric of their society. And it was sinful and wrong. And when we see as Paul unfolds and unpacks for us what it means to follow after God, you will eventually hear him say that in the sight of God, that there is no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but Christ is all and he is in all, that Jesus completely eradicates this idea of a separation based on a bondage system. Yet, Paul is giving direction and definition to this world because he does not understand the world apart from it. And he talks about these interactions. And when he talks about these interactions, he talks about the way that you would work heartily. The only thing that pastors have attached this to is the way that we may work in, in our occupation. That doesn't fully get us there. But there is a small smidgen of truth for the way that we are to live that we would work heartily as for the Lord and not for men 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance and your reward, because you are serving the Lord Jesus. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then Paul undergirds that by telling masters that they are to treat those who are under them fairly. Do we have a desire to care for people in the way that God would like for us to? To treat people in the way that God seems to have us treat people. Because ultimately, this passage that unpacks very difficult things like husbands and wives and submission and death for your spouse and children and parent interaction, it is ultimately given to us to talk to us about authority and that authority is not completely contained in these interactions but that authority takes us to a greater authority. And Paul, in the way that he has unpacked these various things is saying to me and to you That the God that we worship is not a God who simply says, You do this because I said so. And that God wants us to interact with Him. And that as we read through His Word and have conversations about His Word, He is unfolding for us. The heart behind what we do and why we do it. That God does not sit in heaven angrily looking at us. But he cares for us and wants us to be more like him tomorrow than we started out today. So when you see this idea of die for your wife, it's because Jesus has died for us. When you see this idea of submission that is not working against equality, it's because Jesus lived submission, yet still equal with God. When you see this idea of parents don't provoke your children... God does not seek to provoke. He does not provoke us. When we see this idea of the way that we care for our children, it's because God cares for us. When we look at the way that we're to interact, Paul calls himself a bondservant to Christ Jesus. He's used that terminology to talk about himself. Because those of us who've been raised with Christ are bondservants who are ultimately free and part of the family of God because of Jesus. The Bible takes us to Jesus showing us himself in every text. And that is to affect the way that we live. There's nothing more about living than the way that your house works. Because you can fool me And you can 
lie to your life group if you're in one. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. You can completely trick everyone who spends the day, but the God who created you and is for you sees when you're seeking to line your life up with His. So I would pray that we would line our lives up, lives up with His. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Look, as you're, as you're, as the band's getting in place, I just want to ask this. If you're in here and you struggle, my deacons, I want you alert. If you're in this room and you struggle with these things we've talked about, like if this is a rubber meets the road passage for you and everything else you've been just nodding in agreement, but now this, this one hurts. If that's your struggle, could you just kind of put your hand up right now? Yeah, I struggle with these things. Let's keep those up. If you're a deacon in the room, or one of, could, could we just move and pray over these people as the band plays behind us? Yeah, let's move. you're here and you're like yeah I provoke my children all of the time and you just could use someone to pray for you in this minute it's what this time is for could you raise your hand can we raise our hand All right. husbands or wives if you just live in this tension of my marriage Oh, it drives me insane. If that's you, could let's just take a minute. Could we? Could you just pray together? Maybe raise your hand to have one of our deacons pray for you guys. If you don't even know how to pray, if there's so much tension in your relationship, you don't know how to pray. the whole Bible takes us to you and, and we we get to sing to you and think on you and trust you. Lord, I pray right now for, for our faith family. Lord, I pray for what it means that we would see you as exemplifying these things for us. Jesus, you took on the very nature of a servant. Jesus, you are submissive to God the Father. Jesus, you died for us. Jesus, you are long-suffering and patient for us. With us. Jesus, you don't provoke us. So Jesus, if the Bible tells us anything, it's that our lives should, should... That we should be seeking to live in line with you. Convict us when we don't. And in, in your patience, provide people who will show us how if we need that. Because we need each other. 
We ask all this in your powerful name, Jesus.